For this special Halloween episode of Cold Case Detective, we wanted to try and put together something a little different. In today's episode, we'll examine a series of mysterious and bizarre cases that revolve around the spiritual practice of exorcism. As we will soon see, some of these cases have a dark, criminal underside, whereas others are merely captivating mysteries surrounding seemingly unexplainable phenomena. I hope you enjoy this special episode, and, of course, Happy Halloween. An exorcism is a religious or spiritual process which attempts to force an evil spirit or demon to leave a person or place which is believed to be possessed. This is often done by utilizing prayers, rituals, or magic. It is an outdated, and at times even abhorrent practice, often born from a misunderstanding of mental illness, and has served to victimize or even criminalize the mentally ill. Before we had the understanding of mental conditions that we do today, often psychotic breaks were attributed to demonic possession. However, these cases do provide a fascinating insight into the way society and culture has evolved through our understanding of science, of magic, of medicine, of belief, and the incredible experiences people undergo. In today's episode of Cold Case Detective, we'll be exploring three cases surrounding real-life exorcisms. The Tanaku Exorcism In January of 2005, Marichika Komichi, a 23-year-old woman, moved to the Tanaku Monastery, located in the isolated village of Tanaku, which consisted of around 1,000 people and was made up of hills and vineyards. Left as an orphan when her father committed suicide, Marichika and her brother had not had an easy upbringing but the young woman was trying to keep on the right path. As a 19-year-old, she had worked as a nanny in Germany before going on to work in Romania. But when a friend of hers joined a monastery and recommended that she too join, Marichika decided that it was time for a career change. Soon after joining, however, things started to go downhill for the 23-year-old. She began giggling during mass, and by April, her mental state had severely deteriorated. Her friends and family noted that prior to this massive shift, she had not shown any signs of mental health problems. Upon being taken to a psychiatric hospital, however, Marichika was diagnosed as schizophrenic. She spent only two weeks in the hospital before being released into the care of the monastery. Daniel Peter Corrigenu was the 29-year-old priest of the monastery at this time. As a teenager, Daniel had been a football player but he wasn't able to get into his desired university to study law or sports, and so he began religious studies elsewhere. A year into his education, he was recruited by a wealthy businessman who wanted him to help build a monastery. He was ordained by a local bishop and was expected to return to his learning once the building was complete. But instead, he gave up on university so he could devote his life to running the Tanaku Monastery. After learning about Marachika, Daniel came to believe that the 23-year-old was not mentally ill, 
but was possessed by Satan. He claimed that pills wouldn't remove the devil and that an exorcism was wholly necessary. Daniel was seemingly not alone in believing this. Marichika's brother claimed he had witnessed Satan go into her. Several nuns bound Marichika's hands and feet, locking her in a room. They later claimed this was to stop her from hurting herself due to her violent movements. The nuns then left the young woman alone and went to celebrate Christ's ascension into heaven, gathering in the church. A few days later, they chained Marichika to a cross with her arms stretched out and carried her into the church so they could anoint her. According to one of the nuns, Marichika was restrained like any victim of demonic possession would be, and that if she had not been fastened down, she could have, quote, killed others or herself. This same nun alleged that Marichika knew she was possessed because she begged to be tied up, and the nuns simply helped. The 23-year-old then had her wrists and foreheads anointed with holy oil, and a towel was placed in her mouth to stop her from cursing. Daniel and the nuns prayed to cast out the devil, wetting her lips with holy water. In one statement later given by Daniel, Marichika remained like this for five days, although the majority of reports on the case report that she was kept locked up in the church for three days. From here, the young woman was moved to her room and untied, where Daniel declared her cured. She was given bread and tea before fainting. When the nuns of the monastery couldn't rouse Marichika, they checked her pulse to find that it was weak, and so they called an ambulance. During the ambulance ride, paramedics administered six doses of adrenaline, but their efforts failed. Marichika died before they reached the hospital. Several doctors who noticed the marks left on the 23-year-old's body notified authorities, which led to the arrest of four nuns who participated in the exorcism, as well as Daniel. According to Marichika's initial autopsy, she passed away from dehydration, exhaustion, and a lack of oxygen. As a result, Daniel and the nuns were charged with murder and depriving a person of liberty. Daniel was defrocked after being convicted. Prosecutors sought for the priest to be given 25 years. He was originally sentenced to 14, but the Court of Appeals reduced this to seven. He was freed on parole in November of 2011, having served two-thirds of this sentence. The other nuns received around five years each, although it is unlikely they served their full time either. According to news articles, as Marachika was lowered into her grave at her funeral, thunder was heard. Daniel concluded from this that the will of God had been done. During his hearing, he admitted that he had taped over her mouth during mass so she could not disturb the service. Although many of Daniel's followers were furious upon hearing his sentencing, the local community was understandably shocked and appalled by the case. Several articles from 2014 have claimed that, upon attempting to return to Tanaku to build a new monastery in Marachika's name, the former priest was chased out of the area by locals, making it evident that he was not welcome in their village. The same year, it was made public that a new cause of death had been established, and that Marachika had passed away from an overdose of adrenaline that was administered by the ambulance crew. According to Daniel, this cause of death had been established much earlier but had been discounted by the courts. Despite this, many continued to hold Daniel and the nuns responsible for the needless torture and death of a young woman. Marichika's case has inspired several books, as well as the 2017 movie, The Crucifixion. Roland Doe 
Born in 1935, the boy Roland Doe, or Robbie as he is also referred to as, was the subject of one of America's most bizarre exorcism cases. This name, Roland Doe, is a pseudonym, as the boy's true identity remains unknown. Roland was born into a German Lutheran family and lived in Cottage City, Maryland in 1949. An only child, Roland repeatedly relied on his family to be his friends and playmates and was particularly close with his aunt Harriet, a woman who was a spiritualist. When the young boy expressed interest in her Ouija board, she introduced him to it. However, Harriet soon passed away, and after her death, Roland's family began to experience bizarre anomalies. They heard strange noises, witnessed furniture moving, and even saw objects floating when Roland was nearby. The young boy himself even began acting strangely. He would be quiet and calm during the day, but after settling into bed, he would scream and subject his family to wild, uncontrollable outbursts. Terrified of what was happening, Roland's family turned to their Lutheran pastor, a man named Luther Miles Schulz, for help. He arranged for the 14-year-old to spend the night with him so that he could observe him and later claimed to have witnessed objects moving by themselves. The following day, he recommended that the family take Roland to see a Catholic priest. According to the story, Roland then underwent a series of exorcisms, led by a Roman Catholic priest named Edward Hughes. The process took place at Georgetown University Hospital. Reportedly, during one of these exorcisms, Roland slipped one of his hands from the restraints holding him down, broke a bedspring from under the mattress, and used it as a makeshift weapon, slashing Hughes' arm and promptly ending the procedure. However, despite these accounts of Roland at Georgetown University, recent investigations have revealed little evidence to support this part of Roland's story. What we do know for certain is that the family traveled to St. Louis, where Roland had a cousin. The cousin had previously contacted one of his professors at the St. Louis University, a man named Raymond Bishop, who in turn spoke to William Bowden, an associate of the college church. Both priests went to visit Roland at the home of his extended family. Once again, they allegedly saw flying objects, a shaking bed, and the young boy speaking to them in a guttural voice and exhibiting an aversion to anything sacred. As a result, another exorcism was arranged to take place in South St. Louis at the Alexian Brothers Hospital. Knowing Roland's backstory, the men realized that this could be dangerous and took on the assistance of two more priests, one named Walter Halloran, who was 26 at the time, and another named William Van Roo. According to Halloran, the words evil and hell appeared on Roland's body, along with various red marks such as an X on his chest, a pitchfork shape on his thigh, and several lines that led from the top of his legs down to his ankles. The mattress Roland was on began to shake yet again. He reportedly even had seizures. During the procedure, the priests laid crucifixes and rosaries on his body. At one point during the process, the 14-year-old allegedly broke Halloran's nose, although it's unknown how exactly he did this. Roland was said to have been possessed by at least 10 demons, and this final exorcism finally expelled them from his body. Afterwards, the young boy appeared to have no memory of the events that had taken place during the time he was possessed, and went on to lead a very normal life. Raymond Bishop and William Bowden were both so convinced by his possession that they recorded all the events in their diaries. 
These sources, along with the accounts of Pastor Scholes, were what led to the story being covered in local papers at the time. If this is beginning to sound familiar, it's because the story of Roland Doe went on to inspire the 1971 novel The Exorcist by William Peter Blatty, which then led to the creation of the well-known and beloved supernatural horror film of the same name. According to author Thomas Allen, Father Walter Halloran was the last surviving eyewitness to this series of exorcisms, which, according to one account, was witnessed by 48 people, although the diaries of the priests involved seem to disagree with this. Halloran passed away in 2005. Thomas Allen went on to claim that he'd uncovered Roland Doe's true identity, but has said he will never reveal it. According to some reports, Walter Halloran was also the only priest involved to have had his doubts about the young boy's possession. Many modern-day theories conclude that nothing supernatural ever happened, while another author has proposed the idea that Roland was a disturbed child who simply threw tantrums to get attention. This same author claims that Walter Halloran said he never heard the young boy's voice change, and that he often mimicked the Latin words spoken by priests. He was not suddenly fluent in the language. The priests also failed to check Roland's fingernails to determine whether or not the injuries to his body had been made himself. The author also added that, after interviewing childhood friends and neighbours, he concluded that Roland was a very clever trickster who would pull pranks to frighten his mother and fool the neighbourhood children. The man believed to be Roland Doe was tracked down by a writer several years ago. He did not confirm nor deny his identity, but made it clear he was not interested in being interviewed. As of 2013, he was alive and well, aged in his 70s. The home where he stayed in St. Louis is still frequented by tourists who are familiar with the incredible story. Joanna Lee Born sometime in 1963 in South Korea, very little is known about the early life of Joanna Lee. Some sources have stated that she was an orphan, while others have claimed that her parents were divorced. Either way, when the 37-year-old passed away at the hands of her pastor, nobody was there to claim her body. Pastor Luke Lee originally arrived in New Zealand in 1994. Also from South Korea, he was described as a man with strong convictions. After some shady business dealings, Luke left his wife and children behind and headed for Auckland, New Zealand where he studied at the Assemblies of God Advanced Ministry of Training Center. In 1996, he married another Korean woman named Joyce Lee. The couple later had a daughter together. After his training, Luke went on to preach in South London for six months before returning to Korea. While there, he was imprisoned for a year for fraud. When he returned to New Zealand, he founded the Lord of All Church in Mount Roskill, where he led 20 followers, most of whom were Korean. Not much is documented about this church, which is often referred to as a cult, but reportedly some of the strange rituals included fasting, squealing, and washing cut hair in alcohol. Joanna first met Pastor Luke Lee, who was not related to her, in South Korea in 1999. She was so taken with him, that she decided to follow him to Auckland to join his church in October of 2000. On the 9th of December that year, Joanna allegedly told Luke that demons were killing her. He then suggested to her that they attempt to exorcise these demons and claimed that she was possessed by at least 20 of them. 
He said they would not leave her body until she died, but that afterwards, he claimed that she could be brought back to life. The exorcism began on December 10th. Over the next six hours, Luke sat on Joanna's chest and abdomen, bouncing on her body and breaking several bones as a result. Luke thought that he had to expel the demons by pushing them up from her stomach. So when they apparently reached her throat, he began to strangle the 37-year-old woman with his hands. The details that were given by Luke's followers in court, however, described the horrific scene in more detail. According to one witness, four people pinned down Joanna's limbs as she struggled against them. She then went on to fight against Luke, attempting to remove his hands from her mech. As she did this, she repeatedly cried no, but the followers continued to hold Joanna down because they thought this was the demon speaking. According to Luke, the demon finally told him it was leaving her body, and a few seconds later, Joanna stopped breathing. After this, Luke ordered his followers to put her body into one of the bedrooms. He claimed that Joanna wasn't dead, she was just temporarily in heaven. Within days, a foul odor began to emanate from the bedroom, and her body became swollen and discolored. One of the church followers tried to revive the 37-year-old, but to no avail. When the body was finally called into police, it was due to a neighbor discovering the body. They had been asked by the group to be their media representative for when the story of a young woman's miraculous revival finally broke. Luke was charged in relation to Joanna's death. He refused offers of legal aid, dropped his lawyer, and presented no defense, nor did he question any of the witnesses himself. He continued to claim that Joanna would rise from the dead and that all of this was needless. At the trial in November 2001, one of Luke's followers told the story of how they themselves had nearly ended up like Joanna. The follower said that Luke had exercised them too, and that they'd only survived by faking a coughing fit so that Luke would believe the demons had been expelled and would stop choking them. The follower also described Joanna as a quiet introvert who was devoted to the church and strived to fulfill Luke's wishes. The jury returned Luke's verdict in four hours. He was found guilty of manslaughter and sentenced to six years in prison, after which he would be deported back to his native South Korea. In 2004, Luke began to appeal his case, and in 2005, a retrial was ordered, but by this point, all the witnesses were back in Korea. In April of 2006, Luke won the appeal against his conviction. The Court of Appeal stated that Joanna's possible consent to the exorcism had not been properly considered during Luke's first trial. After Luke's trial, the God of All Church disbanded, with most of its followers returning to South Korea. Neither Joanna Lee's friends nor relatives could be located for funeral arrangements. So in mid-2001, the Auckland Korean community performed a Christian funeral service for her and her body was cremated. And there you have the facts. Mysteries and criminal cases revolving around exorcism. Please leave a comment down below with your own theories and reactions, and remember to like this video and subscribe to support the channel. If you are still hungry for true crime content, you can also check out the Cold Case Detective podcast by following the link below. Thank you for watching. Stay alert, stay safe, have a wonderful Halloween, and I'll see you next time.